sometimes we're going to be a springboard. There are going to be some times where we're a great place to get started. And then you go on and you tell great stories about the time you spent with us to continue opening doors. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. We talk about the business of sports, obviously. Media, diversity sometimes, technology, innovation, disruption, all kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito. We are here at Radio Row at Super Bowl in Phoenix, Arizona. And sitting in with me for this one is LJ Holmgren. LJ, welcome to the on-air side of the Cusp Show. Hi, Joe. It's great to be back. It's been a few years since we were in Miami. So now we're in Phoenix and we're meeting so many wonderful people and connections of the program. One of them who is joining us today is Vince Pearson. He is a close connection of the program based on the work that he does for our students. So we go beyond the classroom walls as we think about what they need to be a well-rounded person in the industry. And one area that we focus particularly on is, is of course, culture, but then also understanding our own identity and intersectional identity. So we custom designed a workshop. It's our cultural competency series. It's six parts bundled into two days. Uh, And Vince Pearson is here to talk about that a little bit more with us. And Vince, before you even get to that, uh, first of all, (laughs) It's nice to meet you because we run an email chain and couldn't figure out who introduced us and we just figured that out. Um, but walk us through your career, which has been p- pretty interesting, the stops that you've had along the way to get to this point. For sure. No, thank you for the opportunity to join. Um, so I born and raised in Roanoke, Virginia. I attended Virginia State University where I studied sport management. Charles Oakley. It, there you go. <laughs> so there's always been this interest in sport. So after undergrad, I joined the Colonial Athletic Association working in compliance, student-athlete services, um, and I loved my experience. I loved college sports. It didn't take me long, though, to know that compliance wasn't going to be the thing that, you know, was my fulfilling career. Went back to school and had a chance to attend uh, the University of Central Florida with Dr. Lapchick, and that's where we start uncovering for myself this passion around diversity, equity, and inclusion, not just being something that I care about, but being something that I could have a career in. Uh, graduated from the program at UCF and joined minor league baseball as the first ever head of diversity and inclusion. Um, and I remember taking that job after convincing them I was the right person to hire. I took my seat on day one. I'm like, how the hell do you run a diversity <laughs> initiative? <laughs> you know, I get it in, in Fake theory, it make it. <laughs> but uh, now I have to make this 160 league 110 year old industry uh, different. And no pressure. Yeah, no pressure, right? <laughs> um, but in five years, we were actually able to achieve a lot of great things. Uh, we launched several multicultural marketing platforms. Uh, we launched, uh, we had diversity education series at all of our premier events throughout the year. Uh, we started collecting our workforce data. Um, we started recruiting and advancement programs. Um, and after five years, I've always wanted to live and work in New York City. Um, so I was able to get a job at uh, Bloomberg, still doing DNI work. It was another experience in my life where it didn't take me long to realize that this is not the right fit for me. Um, I left in February, in March, the world shuts down. This is 2020. Um, so COVID strikes, the world shuts down. So I'm beginning my entrepreneurship journey um, in the midst of COVID. Um, and so, great, great timing, by the way. Yeah, no, you know, I couldn't have planned it any better. 
uh, everybody's budget was frozen, right? Um, and certainly for DNI, it's, it's it's almost seen as extracurricular. We'll do that when things are good. We don't necessarily bring in those third parties when things when budgets are tight. Uh, and then um, and then George Floyd was murdered, and everyone needed DNI conversations. Yep. Everyone wanted to talk anti-racism. And so for me personally, it was like reconciling with the fact that I could literally point to um, uh, a man's death as the reason that my business was successful. And the way that I did that after, you know, therapy, prayer, um, was that I see this work as a calling and you don't get to choose how you're called. Uh, you just get to show up and do the work. And so that's what I've been doing ever since is doing the work. Um, I'm here this week with uh, the Blacksport Business Academy representing our organization there where the mission is to enhance a learning experience and career outcomes for HBCU students. Um, so I'm really, I'm here soaking all this in and, and really enjoying uh, the time around the Super League. Tell us a little bit about, um, I want to jump on the MILB thing for a minute, because obviously when people think about diversity, they see the, the lack of players of color, but yet you've got a tremendous influence on Latino players and Latino culture. Um, how were you able to kind of help set that up and some of the things that came out of that that surprised you? A lot of it's storytelling. Um, it, it, it can be there in, in troves, but if we're not telling the story, then it's going to be missed. And so one of the fan engagement platforms we launched at minor league baseball was Escoba de la Diversión. Um, it's fun to be a fan, which is our, 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 our go-to motto. We just took it in Spanish language. Um, but the thing I love most about that platform that there was nothing that was turnkey. Um, what happened in San Antonio had to look different from what happened in Omaha. Um, and so we challenged our teams to be intentional with their research. You know, don't look at us in St. Petersburg, Florida to tell you how to engage your market. You gotta get in with them. And we also layered in, uh, so to be a part of the platform, it was also required that you have at least two bilingual employees on staff. I want you to invite this community into your ballpark and not be able to communicate with them. Um, so it's just, it, I always like to say we got a really lot, we have a lot of really smart people in our industry, in many of our industries. If we present them with opportunities to think creatively around these issues, these challenges, they're going to come up with really great solutions. We're just not challenging them right in the right ways. And so that's like, a, I guess, almost a challenge to myself and all the other DNI practitioners, how are we issuing the challenge so that all the genius that we have in our energy or in our industry, they're using that to come up with creative solutions rather than just looking at us like, what am I supposed to do? You mm -hmm. know? Um, question on the HBCU side, because this is something that has intrigued me for years. As one of the people who used to go to the Whitney and Young Classic when it was at Yankee Stadium 150 years ago. Um, you look now and people talked about, you know, Deion Sanders and what happened at Jackson State, but then you had the presidents and the athletic directors of other schools saying, that's okay, but that didn't help us. It got us notoriety, but it didn't become actionable yet. How do you drive, how do you find those people, and our mutual friend Greg Moore and I have talked about this, how do you take those young people and put them into positions that may not be the biggest athletes that could be successful in this business? How does that happen? I think so much of it is... What Dion did do for our, the HBCU family, it was a ton of exposure. And that exposure 
three, five, ten years from now, we'll still have, there will be benefits from that. Um, I was hurt to see Dion leave, but I cannot hold that against them. The, the emotion I feel is more sadness than anything. Um, so, but I think that it's, it's exposure. How are, how are we equipping our coaches to have these sorts of conversations with student athletes around HBCU culture, what it takes to, to succeed in these sorts of roles? Um, are we creating internships and opportunities beyond what happens on the field so that we're training the mind as well as the body when it comes to just the industry and the business of sport? I think it's going to take some intentional pathing, but very similar to minor league baseball, um, we may have to be okay with that. Sometimes we're going to be a springboard. There are going to be some times where we're a great place to get started, and then you go on and you tell great stories about the time you spent with us to, to open to continue opening doors. Um, I don't think that those conversations are mutually exclusive, but I think the intention is what it's going to take. You've mentioned storytelling. You mentioned the springboard. So let's continue with that theme. That's what we look at our program as. They are part of our program and our lives forever. They're our alumni. They're our family. So talk to us a little bit more about the design, the intentionality that you put into building this curriculum for our students. What I love about the cultural competence approach is, one, it, we get to remove diversity and inclusion from the center of the conversation. Those have become such hot-button words that people start drawing assumptions on what's going to happen next just because we said that. So cultural confidence, first and foremost, gives us an opportunity to start with curiosity rather than immediate judgment. And to me, that is the piece where um, where we want people to grow. I can't become more diverse. None of us can, but I can become more culturally competent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is my exposure to other cultures. And like you mentioned earlier, my awareness of how my own culture shows up in myself and so the, the series is designed to begin with that. We want to, let's talk about culture by looking in the mirror first. Yep. Because oftentimes we'll hear, well, I don't think of myself as having a culture. Or we always begin with like things like music, food, and dance, which are very important components. But we start to get deeper. What about our expectations of the world and the world around us, um, our values, um, our beliefs, and how they show up and how we interact with other people? And then we start to uncover those differences, it makes for a very good conversation. What I love about doing it with the Columbia program is that you have such a diverse body of students. I mean, I'm in front of 45 students and it's representing like 20 countries. Um, there are many organizations that I don't get that level of depth just from lived experience with. And so oftentimes I'm learning when I go into that space as well. Uh, but it's all, it's, it's the, the two layers is how we see ourselves, our cultural self-awareness, and then how we see others, our cultural other awareness. How about, um, you know, there's been talk about, obviously, with the Rooney Rule, with the NFL, and creating other opportunities, whether they are for any, any kind of new pipeline coming in. doesn't matter whether it could be Indian athletes, it could be, you know, Latinos we've talked about. Um, when do you hit a level of frustration when you see things that either aren't evolving or become to you as a quizzical moment as to why that happened and why, why don't things move along fast? Um, yeah, I was probably two weeks into my career in diversity and inclusion when I realized that patience was the most important skill that I would have. What's the second most important skill? 
um, analytics. They've got to wow. be able to make numbers make sense. Cool. Okay. Good. Or storytelling. Sorry. I was going to say uh, this. Too. Cool. Yeah, no, that's a, that, that's somewhere on the list. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> but um, I think having embraced the, the idea that patience is so required, I, I, I don't often get frustrated. Um, what I do find myself, and this is where I have to grow, is, is okay, that, that's their journey. Um, I, I don't have a space there. Um, so I sort of detach myself from it, uh, which could be worse than frustration, actually. Um, but I think that for me, with things like the Rooney Rule, with all the imperfections that come along with it, it to me it looks and sounds like intentional effort. And so I, don't, I can't hold you... Um, and guilt for that because intentional effort feels good to see. Now, can we, do we make improvements? I think the NFL does. I think every handful of years we see new wrinkles to the Rooney Rule. So that, that is a good thing to see. Um, it, it's just how are we being creative in other spaces as well? I think the Rooney Rule has become sort of like DNI. It's that big thing that everybody points at when that's a conversation, but there's so much more happening behind the scenes than we'll ever know. Um, and that's that's the space I like to play in. Cool. Um, it's a case of sit, crawl, walk, run. So how do you champion the little wins and make them bigger to open up doors versus saying, you know, oh, it's 80 percent of you know what we can't do is frustration or failure. How do you how do you build off that 20 percent, especially with the young people that you're around? Yes, um, it is. Celebrating every win is like a mantra that I live by in this space. Um, whenever I'm like welcoming new people into the DNI ranks, I let them know early. As soon as you get a win, do not be shy about celebrating that. Now, I'm not saying that you you know wear a T-shirt around an office, but yes, you know, celebrate it within your friends and family. Celebrate it within these groups because that means progress happened. Um, so, at minor league baseball, we had 160 teams. 80-20 is a good split because if I got 20 teams, 20, 30 teams on board, that was my win. That's all I needed. I would create impact with that group, and I would let the others see it. And then they would come along and say, hey, what, what's that? What, what are you all celebrating over there? What, what's this thing that worked for you? How could it work for me? Um, so I like to begin with the hand raisers and focus my energy there. That allows me to uh, drown out some of the naysayers. And then start to go, those people who are in the middle, I get to win you over by creating success with the cool. hand raisers. Cool. LJ? So, Vince, let's talk about you, the entrepreneur. I yes. know when we think about identity and how we personally identify, identify entrepreneur is one that, that resonates with you. Yes. What surprises you about being an entrepreneur? Um, You're three years in now. You know what's crazy is that I probably have embraced it for the last year. Like I, I am, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm running my, I'm running a business, so multiple businesses. Um, I think what has surprised me the most is, I think how, it can be really difficult to focus. Um, the the culture of the nine to five, nine to six workplace sort of trains you to see productivity in a certain way. Um, but as an entrepreneur, especially beginning in COVID, you don't leave the house, you know, the same place. that. You, and you're managing your own time. Yeah, you're, so. exactly. No one is, you're not punching a time clock anymore, but that means if you decide to waste a day, there's no punishment. Yeah. Not today, maybe five years from now when you don't succeed. Um, so those real-time consequences don't always exist. Uh, so probably what surprises me also, though, is how effective I can be and how quickly when I do focus. Um, I mean, 
the academy's been in existence for two, three years. One was a pilot year, and so we can say in year in year two we're at the Super Bowl. Like, well, I didn't see that coming when we were like brainstorming this and did a pilot program with six students from Virginia State. Um, and I'm calling it that next year we'll be back with at least two students with us to to take this in as well. So, I think that. The biggest surprise is how quickly you can grow when you really focus. Um, there are no, there's no red tape on that side. Cool. Last question from me. Tell us about some of your wins, some of the, the young people that you're around who we should know about that we don't. Oh, man. Oh, see, I'm scared to say names because I'm going to leave somebody out. Um, but we've had – so I'll go with our first cohort in 2021, Monet Bowen. Um, she's a student who was accepted into the NFL's junior rotational program. Lydia Jewell, she's with Haslam Sports Group, and I think they're going to convert her into a full-time position. She's a legal fellow. Um, Naja Liggins from Spelman, she is right now with Warner Bros. And she told me about an opportunity that I almost spilled, but she's got a great one this summer that hasn't been shared yet, so I won't disclose it. Um, a young man, uh, Julian Malone, he's at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, oh. coordinator of people and culture. His was cool because through the academy, we introduced him to our contacts at Monumental, there was no job. They met him. They created an internship for him. And three months later, they created a job for him. Celebrate that win. We celebrate those wins. Absolutely. So I think that's like the... I, I know I'm getting old now because it's not about me, right? <laughs> I'm, I Those are the things that I celebrate most. For the Academy, though, we also do celebrate that um, in year three, we started to bring on partners. Uh, so Wasserman, Tepper Sports and Entertainment, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, Learfield, Fanatics, all of these organizations committed financially to supporting our mission. Um, if you'd have told me that in year one, <laughs> then, you know, I, I would have had another battery in my back. But that's something to really be excited about because it's a testament to where we can go with this. Cool, cool. Before we forget, Vince, where can people find you and find all the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Give us the, sh- the shout out. Find me on LinkedIn, Vincent S. Pearson. Um, change agent will be in the uh, profile. Also, uh, visit us at www.thebsba.com. You can learn a lot more about our organization. And you can learn a lot more about how to connect with us there as well. Cool. Thank you. LJ, why don't you wrap us up? Vince, thank you again for joining us today. We really appreciate you sitting down with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.